As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. It has been a busy, newsy week since you guys last heard from us. I've last I, last week's episode, Bruce, is when we had Jamie Chadwell on. That seems kind of a long time ago now, because we've just been consumed by the news coming out of uh, first LSU and now Kansas with Les Miles and allegations from 2013 in a, in a bombshell investigation that they managed to keep secret for eight years. And now Kansas needs a new football coach. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, I think a lot of us are rethinking how we felt about Les Miles. I mean, and that's something that's a, a discussion I want to bring to you. Neither one of us was based in, in Baton Rouge, but we certainly covered him and, and, um, and we can talk about that. In fact, um, pre-Stu, the first guest on what is the Audible was actually Les Miles. Um, so, Stu, let's let's start there. Um, as this story came out, and as more information was coming out, and it's really I feel like it's still like uh, our friend Ross Dellinger at, at SI. I thought had a had a revealing piece that he uh, wrote on. Uh, as we're taping this, it's Wednesday on Tuesday night, where he talked to uh, one of the trustees who talked about this kind of wall of protection around Les Miles. And it was, um, I think it was eye-opening, but it was made you look at it and go, man, this is really, really awkward. And it's not a good look for anybody involved, especially Les Miles or LSU, but especially Les Miles and then to Kansas. Um Tell me how you've processed uh, some pretty, really disturbing allegations related to Les Miles. Well, makes the if you remember the standoff or the showdown between Joe Oliva and Les Miles when he almost fired him at the end of the 2015 season and got overruled. I mean, back then the only debate around Les Miles was can he adapt his offense or not? Is he going to get a good quarterback or not? Is he still the right guy for the job? Because And then none of us knowing that, well, maybe one of the reasons Joe Oliva was eager to get rid of him is he tried to get rid of him three years earlier for something much more serious than play calling. Um, 
I'm first of all just astounded that they managed to keep it. Let's, secret. By the way, let's 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 touch on this. Yeah. So for people who don't know, according to the report, the coach sexualized the, the football team's staff of women student workers, demanding they hired blondes with large breasts. Two student workers also filed sexual misconducts complaints against him. One which resulted, uh, and this is from Ross's story, uh, in a debate among university leaders to fire Miles, then in his ninth season as coach, and two years removed from competing for the national title game. That was the game they lost to Alabama. A small handful of people were apprised of the matter. This is from the board member he spoke to. The list included then-AD Joe Oliva, assistant AD Miriam Seeger, uh, at least two attorneys from the school's university council, the school's in-house council, the school president at the time, and three board of supervisors. And it really, you know, it's when you look at this, I think the fact that they protected what got out as even what they deemed inappropriate um, looks really bad in retrospect. And I think when you look at it through the, it doesn't look good in the through the prism of 2013 either, but that's that's getting it up to speed to where we're going with this conversation. It can also be a little confusing if you haven't been following every step of the story because there have been, when we talk about an investigation, there were there was one in 2013 and then there was the one that came out this past week. Now, I mean, the first rumblings that something happened with Les way back when, I mean, first of all, just a lot of uh, props to USA Today who first, you know, they've been all over the Title IX component of this, going back to um, Darius Geis and sexual assault cases that uh, that were that happened when he was a player there, and then the Baton Rouge Advocate uh, has been on top of the the Les Miles component of it. And so first they reported that, and I don't even remember when at this point, but recently that there was some mysterious undisclosed settlement between Les Miles and a student intern right so that's your first suggestion that something not good happened then in the course of the so the so the law firm that lsu had hired to investigate the title nine issues in the course of that discovers that wait a minute back in 2013 there were all these issues with les miles and and um women who worked in the recruiting department saying that he um you know, under the guise of wanting to help them with their career, suggested to one of the girls that they meet up at a hotel or at his condo, and she was extremely uncomfortable, and she reported it. Um, and it's really, and it's when you read it, it's really creepy stuff. Oh yeah, it's uh, just, and it was repeated. And so, I do want to point out that Joe Oliva is an AD who, like most people, don't have very strong feelings about the athletic director of their school, but that was one where people hated him, and he eventually got run off. Uh, after the, I don't know if this was the reason why, but it was shortly after the whole situation with Will Wade, the basketball coach, getting suspended and then reinstated um, after the the audio of him talking about a making an offer, you know, a, a inducement to a kid. Anyway, um, so think about spring of 2013. Les Miles took the LSU to the national title game in 2011, undefeated season up until the title game. Everybody says that that 21 nothing loss was kind of where everybody turned on him, but you know, this is a little over a year later. He's still pretty much near the peak of his coaching popularity. And the fact that he not only uh, was was 
harassing these women, but that Joe Oliva told him he can no longer have contact with them and he still did it, is why Joe Oliva is documented in there in an email recommending that they fire him for cause. I think that's pretty noteworthy that the AD was, and nobody of course on the outside knew about it, they weren't, this wasn't like a media backlash situation, that he was willing to fire an extremely popular football coach a year removed from the national championship game. There's no documentation in there of when he got, how he got overruled or why he got overruled. I think we can, you know, connect the dots and say they didn't feel comfortable, confident that they would be able to get out of paying $15 million buyout. But yeah, then they, they went to great lengths and it's really shady to, to keep this from ever seeing the light of day. They basically, in order for it to not come up in a public records request, the findings were held by LSU's law firm and Les Miles' lawyers. Les Miles' yeah. lawyers. So that if you, the, you uh, can't publicly, you can, if you FOIA a school, it's a public university, they have to comply. You can't FOIA a law firm. Um, it was interesting just from uh, I noticed late last week I saw a couple of people had found an old tweet I had had from from 2013 and the tweet was basically said something along the lines of I don't have it in front of me but um, the there's a wild rumor out there at, about LS, at LSU uh, per source uh, that there is no truth to it or something along the lines of that. And then uh, one of the people who had linked to it, it came from, or that part came out of a uh, Alabama message board, where the message board post, because I'm trying to look back, it's over eight years ago now, trying to remember like some of the sequence, but it had said that uh, Les Miles was either going to resign or was gonna be forced out. This is actually, when the tweet came, it was about two months before uh, it got to the point where, like, the timing was about six weeks or two months before what we're talking about happened. Um, you know, the source I had on that, I, I, I had asked, uh, would basically it was about was less stepping down or was he being, and that's the answer I got. Now, the person who I had asked, who normally would be a good source on this, I don't think this person had any idea. Just now, in retrospect, reading some of the, uh, you know, reading Ross's story about how uh, LSU had gone to great lengths it, it just in, the, in its, you know, inner circle of power brokers about putting this wall of protection around him. And so, it, you know, it's strange and just like how much seeped out but how little really got out because for people who are looking at it going, wait, now they're going to fire Les Miles for this for something eight years ago. And it's just, uh, you were on the Zoom call yesterday to bring it forward with Jeff Long, the AD at Kansas, who's in all sorts of hot water for like 19 different real reasons. But what, so bring people up to speed on, in the course of that, Andy Staples had asked him a very pointed question or, uh, on that as to, it's that question, like, what did you know and when did you know it? If you're Les Miles, what do you believe and what should people know about that as it relates to Jeff Long in Kansas, Stu? Right. So so before he held his press conference on Tuesday, you're looking at it and you're saying, well, either one of two things happened. And, and, and you know, it doesn't help Jeff Long's cause that we all know. It's well documented. He's been friends with Les for 30 years. There's a perception that he just wanted to hire his old friend. Because remember, I and many others were like, 
very critical of that hire from a football perspective. I had no idea, and nor did anybody else, about this stuff in his past. But just you're really you're going to bring on this guy who's kind of a coaching dinosaur to try to you know for the the heaviest rebuilding job in all of college football. But they go back to when they worked together at Michigan in the late '80s. Um, so either you didn't do any due diligence, you were so determined to hire your your friend that you just did it without checking any you know into his background or you did check into it and either downplayed it or weren't were maybe not told the full extent of it and hired him anyway jeff long was making the case for option c which is that he said they did three background checks they talked to lsu and probably most notably asked les miles flat out is there anything that could come up from your past that would embarrass the university and he said no so, I'm not going to say so like... Based, so, based on that, yeah. so let me stop you on that last point. So, based on that, so uh, they settled with Les Miles. He got about $2 million to walk away, which is, I think he was on the hook for 8 or $10 million, and they, get, he, they gave him two. But based on that last question from Jeff Long, is there anything in your past? There is something. Right. So, would that not be that Les Miles was lying to them? In that regard, or did Les Miles just make the the determination? I I'm convinced I didn't do anything wrong, right. so there should be nothing in my past. You know how it is. The, the the coach is the last person to think they actually did anything wrong. You know, his lawyers to this day, you know, are are first of all, they, first they really fought to prevent that from that report from being released, and then at the and then they relented and decided it would be. And I don't know why they thought this was the better of the two options for the public to actually see it. Because at that point, you know, people are using their imagination and thinking the worst. And, oh, wait, wait till they see what he actually did or, or, or we think didn't do. Basically, they, they want to claim this is, you know, these allegations are false. Uh, you know, you didn't hear his side of it, et cetera. But so, yeah, you could see him being like, no, what are you talking about? I didn't never did anything wrong. Uh but you've got all, if you read the report from 2013, they've got, and the one, the more recent one, they've got all these witnesses. Like they've got, you know, people in the LSU, uh, Sharon Lewis, who worked in the, who's worked in the LSU recruiting department for, for years and years under multiple coaches. And the students we're talking about reported up to her, you know, recount sitting in this room with this woman who's crying, who's traumatized, um, you know, They've got other people to, attesting to multiple people about the comments he would make about the women's appearance in the office. Um, I think he's an innocent party in all this. So um, I think the weird part is that he and jo- Jeff Long and Joe Oliva were ADs in the same conference for years. Like clearly they know each other well. E- you're telling me he either didn't have a conversation with Joe Oliva or he did and Joe Oliva never mentioned that well actually there was this time when i almost fired him i don't know i i just think that i know and any andy's question was legit like bandy was just kept pressing him on he lied to you why are you paying him money just just fire him for cause but remember they just went through this with david Beatty, where they tried to get out of paying his buyout and it went to court and jeff long had to be deposed and it became this I just think they want it done. With. And David Beatty, who did who did next to yeah, nothing wrong yeah. in that and regard, which shows the hypocrisy. But they just want this over. They don't want to fire him for cause and then have to go to court and relive all this stuff. I think it was just here. What amount will you agree to to make this just go away? Um, 
and you know so what do you so so let me ask you this before we get to like where kansas goes you and i like i I said less miles on paper will will likely be somebody the college football hall of fame would put in just on his he won a national title his you know all those things he's yeah but here we are now like less miles you just don't i don't feel like we see it too often in college football where somebody there's going to be such a 180 and in the perception of him because he was the hat and he was uh, not romanticized on on tv but he was quirky as could be um he played uh, played into that quite a bit um and now you have somebody who is been uh, you know, alleged to have exhibited some really disturbing behavior. It shows you so how if you're the more personable, the more likable you are, the more you can get away with. I mean, I always the thing my my issue with less over you know in going back to LSU was that where I felt like he kind of got a pass was remember Jeremy Hill. You know, remember Jordan Jeff? Like he had Ryan Perilou. He had all these guys who who got into trouble, who he would just keep give, bringing back on. And Jeremy Hill in particular was a was a really egregious one where he let the team basically vote. So Jeremy Hill pleaded guilty to a 2012 misdemeanor stemming from his sexual relationship with a then 14 year old. Then he pleads guilty to misdemeanor simple battery for a bar fight in in July of 2012. He nearly gets thrown in jail. And he gets reinstated, and uh, Les is like, oh, we let the team vote on it. Like, it was stuff like that that I was just like, okay, he eats grass, that's fun, but, like, this is ridiculous. Um, I don't know. I thought he always... I, I'm not saying I didn't enjoy the, the quirkiness, the, 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 the infamous or famous press conference the morning of the SEC championship game when the Michigan rumors were flying around. Um, but there was another side to him as well. Now there's a really dark side. And I thought Ross Dellinger, you know, we keep bringing him up, our friend who covered LSU for many years and is now at SI. I mean, the column he and wrote. probably knows him, probably knows Les Miles better than anybody in the national media. The column. At least among, among writers. Yeah, the column he wrote was, was something that we all go through at some point where you cover these people and you have relationships with them and then something like this happens and you're going, you're, you're going, gosh, what did I, what did I miss? And he, you know, I think the way he put it was, was very well said. Like, okay, we've had our fun with less miles time to be done with that. Um, I don't know to your point about the hall of fame, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not even getting into whether he should go in or not. That's not even where I was going. I'm just talking about like, just you basically in your mind do a, are going to, a lot of people I think are going to be doing a 180 on, how, what they think of Les Miles. I mean, I think you and I were both at the point where we're like, okay, he's way in over his head as a football coach at Kansas when he got the job. But this is a much different story. This is a much, this is much more uh, significant in terms of just you're putting a character assessment on somebody. And again, it's not like you know you feel like you know everything about some of these people. But then when you find out something really, really disturbing i think it just puts you in a different position to think how you think of them you and i have talked about this offline but i think it's worth bringing up on here we do, we do not think this will be the last coach to have this kind of reckoning uh publicly the first of all every industry in in you know ever since 
the Me Too movement really, really became uh, as prevalent as it has in the last four years. I mean, we're seeing it like with the New York Mets, right? With the the Dallas Mavericks. Like there have been all of these examples in sports over the last couple of years of the Washington football team. Like of all these awful uh, cultures where sexual harassment is just like pervasive, and and these men in power are treating the women who who work in you know lower level roles like crap and you tell me Les Miles is the only college football coach that did that no uh I don't know who's going to get outed next but I know this when you walk into those football offices it's it's set up for something like this right like they all the, the stuff that Les was saying about how he wanted the women to look you know are all the coaches going around like making it that brazen or not I don't know but I think many of them want the same exact thing he did yeah, and again, I think when you look at things through the prism of something that that I think was part of the culture 20 years ago, and I think f- to some degree kept kept going, and then it was just kind of reinforced. I mean, these are not things that when you look through them at the prism, and rightly so, but if you look through them at the prism of where we are now, um, it's not going to hold up well. Yeah, it's things it's that used not. to, for years, it was just kind of like a wink-wink. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second, but now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash audible. That's linkedin.com slash audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Look, I think, Stu, I mean, you know, not to go down too far this rabbit hole that we've already gone down, but like if you look at TV shows that were probably you laughed at and and didn't think anything of sitcoms and different things that came with it. 
uh, stuff that you and I grew up on, stuff that probably went on 15 years ago. Um, I think people look at them differently. I think there's a lot of people are going to go, yeah, I, I think there's going to be a, I don't even know if it's a fine line, but there's going to be a lot of people going, yeah, but now we can't. Now everything is everything is off the table kind of thing. I, that's why I said it's it's quite a rabbit hole to go down. I mean, clearly with, with less miles and the allegations here, I don't think there is any fine line on this if, if everything was what happened was true. But I do think then there's some other aspects of this where it's just like, it's it, these are uncomfortable conversations. Yeah, this isn't a this isn't a. I know what you're referring to. But this isn't like a. a t, did did they write an insensitive joke on a TV show? This is he actually, you know, traumatized. You know, this is real life. You need traumatized these young women, and and these are just the ones we know of. So, so quickly on this, um, I have a story up on the athletic about who I think and hear are going to be people who should be in the mix and may have some interest and there are some good group of five options now one thing that i think is worth noting here because people look at this and go man you probably have a lame duck ad the program yeah no one's won more than three games in a season in like a dozen years it's rough and it is right now it's as bad a, a power five job as there is uh with that said i think they actually have pretty good options you look at guys who have Midwest ties, and you could say, okay, Lance Leipold at Buffalo, done a really good job there, won a bunch of national titles in D3. You have Jeff Munkin, triple option guy, done an amazing job at Army. He's from Illinois. Uh, and then there's about four or five other guys on there who I hear would be very interested in this job. And not only that, Right now, it's like whether these whether they go through the search process now, they probably have better chance to hire these guys now than they would a year from now when other jobs are open. Um, you did a column as well. You did one about why you think they have should go all in on Jeff Munkin and that offense. Um, what do you think that would look like in Kansas? I mean, they had Army had one winning season in 17 years before Jeff Munkin got there. Uh, to you, is that a no-brainer? I mean, yes. It, it's If you can get Jeff Munkin, it's a no-brainer. And I've seen people say, why would he take that job? And I think you could you could raise that about a lot of people. But because it is, it's just a – I mean, this is a – what's the stat? They're 7-98 and 98 in the Big 12 since 2010. 7-98. It's just an, an... You can get paid way more money if you're a Power 5 head coach. You have way more resources. I mean, some of these jobs, Tulsa, Louisiana Tech, those jobs people have won at in recent years. Obviously, Skip Holtz is there now. Philip Montgomery's there now at, at, at Tulsa. You have way more resources if you're at a Kansas in the Big 12 than you do at some of these other places. You have way more resources. Buffalo is one of the hardest places to win in all of FBS. Uh, for guys, and a lot of these guys we're talking about are 55 and up. They realistically are not going to get another shot probably yeah. to, be a, to be a Power 5 head coach. Well, I, I felt this way in 2018 too. I feel like... Kansas, the definition of insanity, right, is doing the same thing over again and expecting a different result. They just keep hiring these coaches who don't have any sort of differentiating factor. 
So you're in a conference full of explosive offenses. They're all, they're not the same, but like they're all some variation of either the air raid or the hurry up spread offense. And, but you have, but you're, you don't have as good players as them. So you got, if you're Kansas, you got to do something different, right? I think back to Baylor. Baylor was what Kansas is now for the first 12 or 13 years of the Big 12. They're terrible. And then Art Bryles came in and he had this crazy high school offense that nobody had, had ever seen before. And ultimately, and eventually built them up to not just being competitive, but winning the Big 12. Kansas's goal right now is to be competitive. They have not won more than three games in a season since 2009. And the triple option is the great equalizer. And so for the next several years, like there's no scenario where you could bring Nick Saban in there tomorrow and he starts, he's not going to like suddenly have Alabama's roster or Oklahoma's roster within two years. It's going to take years to upgrade your talent where you're actually as talented or more talented than than we'll say half the conference so in the meantime how do you neutralize that you do exactly what army did when they faced kyler murray and cd lamb who else was on that team marquise brown trey sermon 2018 they go to oklahoma and their offense holds the ball for 45 minutes and keeps oklahoma's off of offense off the field so much that oklahoma only scored 21 points in regulation Oklahoma ended up winning in overtime. Um, that's a pretty extreme example, obviously, but it shows this the the what just how much you can neutralize things because that offense is so hard to prepare for and uh, so unique now. And obviously, when it's going well, like you can eat up clock. Um, are you going to win the national championship that way? No. But Paul Johnson, like I don't know that Georgia Tech is at some decided advantage to Kansas just institutionally. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Georgia Tech is in one of the hottest recruiting areas in the country. You can, I don't, well, don't put that in. they didn't. Kansas is not. But go back and look at the Paul Johnson's recruiting rankings. They weren't bringing in top 25 classes. They were well, bringing in classes. And there's a little bit of chicken and the egg there. Yeah. There were. That's part of the reason why people don't want the triple option is because it is hard to recruit to. It is. It is, but... I'm just saying, Atlanta is an area. You know how good you know how good of a recruiting area is. This is a job Tony Elliott actually wanted. So, Georgia Tech. It's yes. Um, so let's not go. Let's well, not go. Georgia back Tech. To Georgia Tech won the ACC one year while he was there. They went to the Orange Bowl. They they almost beat Jameis Winston in the Orange Bowl. That's not even what I'm trying to get at here. I'm just trying to get Kansas to six and six. That would that would be progress. And, and this would be a way to Getting do it. Getting them to four and eight would be progress. Do you think, I think, I don't want to go too far down the Kansas rabbit hole, but like, I felt like we're here, David we're Beatty here. We're already down. in yeah. his last season, like they actually were starting to show progress. I looked back and I thought they were better than, that they won more than one Big 12 game. They didn't. But they were actually competitive. But they were competitive. And they, they, were competitive. And they put up, scored 40 points in Oklahoma that year. And Puka Williams was a freshman. And so... I don't know. I, I'm saying if I think if he had, if they hadn't fired him and brought in last month, if he had stayed enough, like they might have gotten that six and six season. It wasn't that far off, but now you're starting over again. So now the well, other that, coaches on that. your list, I've talked enough about Monken and the triple option. You, you've mentioned some really good coaches who, yes, I think they would be fortunate to get. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I, uh, some of these guys I know specifically, they want the job. Question is, will Jeff Long go with it? Because none of the names are sexy. None of them are. But, hey, right now you're Kansas. I do want to say just on the point about Beatty, uh, we did a, a game his first year 
my TV crew did. We went in there. It was like an 11 a.m. kick. It was like driving into a doctor's office. That you know, like you want to talk about like that was probably as close to a game in this like kind of what it feels like in the pandemic to see a game. That's what that felt like. There was just no atmosphere to it at all. Um, they almost beat Patrick Mahomes and Texas Tech. I mean, they hung with him at one point. I felt like they could have won the game, and. They had nobody because he, he took over after Charlie Weiss, and Charlie Weiss had loaded up on so many junior college guys. They were so depleted scholarship-wise, and just obviously they pulled the plug. I don't think if they kept David Beatty in there another three years that they would be 8-4, and four, but I definitely think they would have been better than they were under Les, where you know this past season in the Big 12, there was only one game that they were within three touchdowns of, and that was at the end of the year, so... Uh, we'll see what they do. I mean, I, my guess is it'll be some combination of of Munkin, uh, Lance Leipold, and Willie Fritz. Willie Fritz, the coach at Tulane, is from the state of Kansas and has done well where he's been. I think any of those coaches would be a big upgrade. And, um, you know, we'll see what they got. On the bright side, if, if, what, you're, if what you want to have happen happens... Uh, they do have a mobile quarterback who probably would be pretty good running the triple option. Or it looks like he would at least bring some, you know, would be somebody in place to be able to do that. Uh, what else is going on? I do want to get into, before we get to the mailbag, I want to get into your mailbag. You got an interesting question that I think is a podcast gold topic, <laughs> which is about the 10 most exciting players uh, you've ever covered. And obviously we overlap on the time, except for maybe I have maybe five more years of covering it. So the, I thought this was pretty fascinating. Yeah, so the context is that at some point in the last week, Tavon Austin, the great you know former West Virginia player, tweeted a graphic that somebody else had clearly made of the 10 most exciting. It said the 10 most exciting players of all time, but they were all from 2000 or later. And he was number two. And he was like, hey, what does everybody think? And of course, people didn't like it terrible list, et cetera, et cetera. But I still don't know who actually made the list. He just, he's the one who put it out there. Uh, so now, so why don't you go through yeah. it and I'm going to, I'm going to give you my, so Tom N in Chicago asked me for mine, but he did thankfully say it didn't have to be of all time. It could be in my time covering the sport, which dates to 1998. All right. I'll run through mine real quick. Number one, Michael Vick. We'd never seen anybody like him. Uh, he, he, you know, it's funny cause you look at his stats now and they're very modest compared to today's dual threat quarterbacks but you wouldn't have known it at the time two reggie bush i don't think i've say much there we all know how exciting he was three johnny manzel i just i i don't remember a player who whose body moved quite the way he he did in terms of his escapability his like um houdini instinct and then he would throw the ball 40 yards downfield to uh mike evans four vince young one man wrecking machine um it's crazy. By the like, way, this is after after one through three. I feel like I we start to differ okay. a little bit, and I start to go. Well, I, we know your number one is going to be Cam Newton because every time we do one, it's of these not. Top it is definitely lists, not. It is definitely not. I'll just Cam say them real quick. I won't give a little seen. description. Five, four, Vince Young, five, Cam Newton, six, Christian McCaffrey, seven, Lamar Jackson, eight, the combo of Pat White and Steve Slayton at West Virginia, number nine, Percy Harvin, and number ten, Tavon Austin. Honorable mention, Tim Tebow, Saquon Barkley, Denard Robinson, DeAnthony Thomas, and recency bias, maybe, I don't know, Devontae Smith. 
uh, I don't understand. I, I when I saw Tim Tebow's name as I was like, I didn't. He was obviously a great player. I don't remember thinking he was like a particularly exciting player. Um, when I think of exciting, that's he's definitely not one I would have thought. Um, well, he doesn't fit I, with the others in that he was not going to break a fifty-yard touchdown at any given moment, and so that's make people miss. Or why I left? Like him. I never. That's why My I left him off. Is, but yeah, I don't. It was. I felt like it was an event when he played. Right. It was exciting in that like. He he was very unique. Now, he was a, basically a fullback playing quarterback, so uh, it, he wasn't going to produce these huge highlight runs. And if that's your sole criteria for most exciting, then, yeah, he doesn't even belong in the conversation. I thought of it more as um, – I think I, I, I included him because I've got these guys like Vince Young and Cam Newton who played in his era, and he was as successful as those guys were, and he was – he, he was as big a star, if not bigger, and he was, you know, somebody you turned on the TV to watch. But I would agree that he didn't, he doesn't fit the, like, threat to score touchdown every time he touches the ball category. Okay. So I agree, maybe not with the order, but your top three, I'm, to me, Michael Vick was phenomenal to watch. He was must-see TV. Reggie was, was, um was pretty spectacular you would say wow i mean it's just even still seeing some of the highlights you say wow um johnny football was you never know what was going to happen with him on the field uh and i he was kind of a phenomenon unto himself i think those three were there um lamar a couple of guys in your top 10 i definitely other guys i definitely agree with lamar was a wow guy i want to i do want to throw out some names that I feel like I would have included. Um, Patrick Mahomes was not on great teams, and maybe I'm biased because I got to see him in person a lot, but he would make you say, wow, with the stuff he could do. It was just insane stuff. Um, this next name is probably be- might be before your time, but I think people forget what a, what a phenomenal player and what an exciting player he was in the Big Ten, and that was Antoine Randall L. I think he, maybe he was before your no, time. No, he, he was my time, and he was very exciting. He was like kind of off the map, right? You you weren't watching a lot of Indiana games on, on TV at the time, but when you I certainly remember the highlights. Yeah. Um, another guy that I thought was just a wow factor to watch was was Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew. I remember I've told the story before, but watching spending the week with West Virginia as they prepared for the LSU defense and how much time they spent watching him was just such a unique player. And there really aren't a lot of defensive guys that people think of as 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 uh, exciting and must-see. He was just so unique and such a like a X-factor guy. He, was, he would definitely be on my list. Uh, Maurice Jones-Drew was somewhat overshadowed by Reggie, but I think people forget how phenomenal he was and how much fun he was at UCLA. Um, Dexter McCluster was one of those guys for me at Ole Miss. Um, and then two other guys who, one was Devin Hester. I knew you were going to say Devin Hester. I was waiting for that. Devin Hester was just insane, the stuff he'd, he'd do. And there was like, I, neither one of us was old enough to cover De, uh, Deion Sanders as a return guy and as a player at, at FSU. But but Devin Hester, the anticipation of waiting for them to punt to him or kick to him was, was unique. And then the last guy, I know you already have three West Virginia guys on your list. But Noel Devine had that aura to me as well. I mean, he just didn't do as much stuff as some of those other guys. But there was definitely some weight, you know, because there was so much anticipation about his 
you know, insane highlight film from high school, and you'd see flashes of that at times. So th- those are those would be the guys I would probably also include. The interesting thing is, if you were to ask me what was the most exciting offense to watch during this whole time, I would definitely say Chip Kelly's Oregon offenses. But I don't know that I can mm-hmm. pinpoint and say like LaMichael like James. Like Dennis Dixon. You know, LaMichael yeah. James. I mean, if you look at LaMichael James' stats, they're they're crazy. Uh, but and he was it was it was. But I don't remember tuning in to watch LaMichael James. It was tuning in to watch that offense, and and it stayed that way after he left, and Kenyon Barner was the main guy, and 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 whatnot. Um, Everybody you said on that list is an exciting player. Just had to limit it to ten. So, oh, what? Where are you with McCaffrey? Because to me, there's really not much difference between him and Reggie Bush. It's the difference is Reggie was playing on national championship teams, and that everybody watched every week. And McCaffrey played probably two thirds of his games either on Pac-12 Network or ten thirty at night. Yeah, I feel like McCaffrey was actually to me in that regard reminds me more of LaDainian Tomlinson in that he I'm I'm agreeing with what you're saying but Reggie had an aura about him Mm -hmm. you know in terms of like if you were to ask me one of the one of the more what are the most amazing things you've ever seen in person I would actually say one of them in college football wise was I was happened to be there the day uh, Reggie Bush's first day in pads at USC we had I had done a USC preview, a uh, USC capsule for our ESPN magazine preview, and it was literally like a stop the presses moment. We have to include this guy. It was nine on seven drill. Reggie Bush made so many insane runs that day, it like blew my mind, right? Because he was not like he was a hyped recruit, but it was like Whitney Lewis was the biggest name in the class who was a receiver who really didn't end up doing much at USC. And you had two other big time backs that they had recruited, but Reggie was just such like a, um, such a star even before he was Christian McCaffrey put up ridiculous numbers there and was more like there was no, there was no Lendell white to get carries. There was no, um, you know, other skill guys to get the ball. I'm not saying they didn't have anybody around Christian McCaffrey. Well, eventually they had him and Bryce Love in the same backfield very briefly. But I, it's funny you bring up that story. I hadn't thought of it in years, but I do remember vividly. So this is way back in 2003. You're at ESPN, the magazine. I'm at SI. I'm, I was actually living in Atlanta at the time. It was that long ago. And you called me that day. You were like, I was at USC practice today, and I've never seen a more impressive player in practice than Reggie Bush. And this was... You know, first day fall pads, freshman year. That was that was the, as I recall, he it took him a little bit. Not unusual. Like he didn't, he wasn't Reggie Bush from the first game of his first year. I think that freshman year it took them a while to really get him going. But then, I was at the um, they played Virginia Tech in the Meadowlands, not the Meadowlands. Oh. Uh, yeah, the kickoff FedEx classic field, right to start the four yeah. season, and that was the first time where they really like flexed him out as a receiver too, and. And you saw like, okay, this is this is really something special. But McCaffrey, um, I was at a so obviously I got you know I too was at a practice his true his true freshman year and was like, who is this guy? Like I remembered that they had signed Ed McCaffrey's son, but you didn't expect to see that. He was he was so much faster than anybody else on the field. Um, David Shaw kind of used him as a complimentary player his first year, but then that next year. They played UCLA on a Thursday night in like, I don't know, late September, early October. 
and it was like four or five plays that game where he was just gone. Um, I remember being at the with Andy. So Andy Staples and I were both flying home from. It was one of those years that the playoff was on New Year's Eve, and so the Rose Bowl was the next day. We're at the airport waiting to go home, and the Rose Bowl kicks off. The Stanford Iowa Rose Bowl, and it was literally like uh, we're at the bar of a restaurant. Like you're having, you're drinking your drink. You look up. Oh, he's gone. Like he. <laughs> Remember that Iowa Rose Bowl performance? It was unbelievable. Um, it was hard for me to justify putting him above like Vince Young and Cam Newton, but number six. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, real quick, one, my, one more thing to delay the mailbag. Some news this week that directly affects you and your company, your other company. Uh, Bob Stoops is going to fill the shoes left by Urban Meyer on Big Noon Kickoff. Thoughts, feelings? V- very excited about it. I was, I'll be honest, I didn't know uh, Bob Stoops' son, one of his twin boys, Drake, is a good receiver at Oklahoma, is in the middle of his college career. I did not I was skeptical that he would want to come fly out to LA or be on the road every week. Um, I'm really glad to hear that it's happening. I was excited when I heard he was out here a few weeks ago uh, to have like a rehearsal slash audition or get a feel for things. Um, you know, I think it'll be fun. Obviously, uh, with Fox's footprint in the Pac-12, Big 12, and Big 10, you know, Bob was a really good safety at Iowa, and he obviously spent a long time at Oklahoma so he's very entrenched in especially the Big 12 so I think that's good and look I mean uh, Urban Meyer really cared about the show like he was he really cared about Big Noon and and all aspects of it and was very prepared and and um, you know I think Bob will probably be different in in how he is on air and how he fits into the show um but I'm excited about it. I, I think I don't know who else if you're if you're Fox you could have gotten to say hey we need to get another coach we want to get a big name and somebody who can do TV and who's relevant. There's really I don't I don't know it was either to me it felt like and I don't I don't know this it's not like the bosses told me this but it's like it was kind of Bob or bust. I just don't know who else you would have gotten who who has the gravitas has won championships. Um, is well respected and uh, to me it doesn't hurt that he also was a defensive guy and sees probably things from a defensive perspective because you know we have two quarterbacks and the aforementioned Reggie Bush on the set with Rob Stone so it's not bad that we have an old safety and defensive coordinator to be there yeah I think you're right there was no there was no possible plan b who would have who would have you know made as many headlines or, or or you know garnered as much interest as him um, you know, he did an interview with uh, Jason Kersey, our Oklahoma writer. You can find it on The Athletic. The Athletic, by the way, if you haven't subscribed already, go use our code, theathletic.com slash theaudible, to get a discount on your annual subscription. Um, I just think that he's the only concern. So when Urban Meyer got hired, I remember thinking, are you sure you want to do that? Because, like, Michigan fans watch that show, too, and he's kind of polarizing, and but he was so good at it, I think people got over that pretty quickly. But you will have a similar dynamic 
you know, Fox shows the Red River game every year. Like they'll have OU Texas, and if and, and other OU games, I'm sure too. If if Oklahoma were to lose to Texas this year, um, you know, and it comes down to like a bad coaching decision. I mean, he flat out said in that interview with Jason, he's not going to criticize Lincoln Riley. Like that will be an interesting thing. Is how do you deal with? Urban really never had to deal with it because Ohio State never lost, uh, right? I mean, their only losses under Ryan Day were in the uh, in the playoff, when, and you guys are off the air by then. So, like, I don't think it's going to happen. But if Oklahoma were to go eight and four next year, that would that would be awkward. Uh, but other than that, I think it's going to be really good. Mailbag time. Okay. As always, send your questions to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. Let me let me let me ask you this one, Bruce. It's from Nathan in Boulder, Stu and Bruce. I keep hearing that Matt Campbell and Luke Fickle are waiting for the perfect coaching job to come available. What would that job be for each of them? Isn't there a risk in waiting for the perfect school instead of striking while the iron is hot? There is a risk in that, um, but certainly everything you hear from people close to Luke Fickle is he's such an Ohio State guy. It would be Ohio State. Um, There's a, a lot of appeal apparently he has for Notre Dame. Obviously, both of those jobs are filled by coaches who are in really strong positions right now. Um, I don't know if he would, if James Franklin were to ever leave Penn State, would Penn State be a place you would consider? But I think that's about it. Um, I wonder if Luke, Fick, I mean Luke Fickle and Matt Campbell are kind of in alignment because Matt Campbell is an Ohio guy. I don't know. He's had opportunities to get big jobs, and he has NFL interest. I wonder what. Honestly, I don't know the answer to this. I, I mean, if, if Ohio State were to were to say, hey, if Ryan Day were to go to the NFL and they were to go to Matt Campbell, I don't know what he would say. But I just don't know what those jobs are if you're Matt Campbell that are going to entice you. I don't see Matt Campbell wanting to be the head coach at USC. I could definitely be wrong. I've never had this conversation with him. But, you know, I don't see Matt Campbell wanting to be in the SEC either. So... Um, he, I think he could have been the head coach of Texas. It didn't, you know, he didn't seem to want that. So I don't know if I was an Iowa state fan, I'd be extremely happy with how these things have, have developed. And honestly, the longer he is there and I speak to him more than, than, uh, I speak of, I'm speaking really about Matt Campbell's situation more than Luke Fickles, but the longer Matt Campbell is at Iowa state, I think the, the better chance you have to keeping him longer because it just means more recruiting classes that he has been able to build. It just means um, more facility commitment. It also means that like the kids he's recruiting now, they don't remember when Iowa State wasn't good. Now, all of a sudden, these kids only remember Iowa State beating top 10 teams and being nationally relevant. So I think, you know, somewhat like Bill Snyder, I'm, I don't think Iowa State was as bad as K-State was before Bill Snyder, but I think he has a, if he wants to do it, I think he could be there for the long haul. That's exactly the name I was thinking of, that he could be there, Bill Snyder. I mean, more a more uh, a more recent example would be, um, or, he, or like Kirk Ferentz, right? Like somebody who, Kirk, I remember Kirk Ferentz used to get rumored for NFL jobs all the time, and then there just reached a point where everybody just kind of accepted, like, nope, he's going to be the Iowa coach for as long as he wants to be. Uh, there's probably, I mean, like you said, if Ohio State came calling, that's a different story, but I just... I believe that he's not somebody who's looking to hop jobs, and and he was in the Big Twelve title game this year. He could get back there this year. It's not like he's he's relegated to irrelevance if he stays there. I think Fickle's a different situation in that as long as Cincinnati's not in the Power Five, there's going to be a ceiling. 
to what they can accomplish. And I mean, any coach wants to compete for playoff spots and national championships and event. If he keeps winning at Cincinnati, that, that kind of school is going to come calling. So, you know, the, the best hope Cincinnati has of keeping Luke Fickle forever is for the Big 12 to call tomorrow and say, guess what? We've decided to expand and you're first on the list. Uh, but short of that, you know, it's probably a, a shelf life there. All right. This question from Andrew, and I think Andrew has the answer in his question to me. Uh, Stuart which teams do you think were hurt most by the craziness of the 2020 pandemic influence season based on the momentum they had from the following from the pre prior season i'm thinking of a school like cal which finished 2019 on a high note culminating with a big win over illinois in the red box bowl that had a lot of starters back led by quarterback chase garbers who is expected back in 2021 to lead the bears they try to bounce back from a disappointing season thanks andrew uh, Stu, I'm going to agree with Andrew on Cal, especially because they played their first game basically against UCLA on like 24 hours notice and got, you know, kind of blown out. Um, but beyond Cal, who else would you say fits in that category of really got derailed before they had much of a chance to? Most of the ones that come to mind are in the Pac-12 because they had, you know, almost fake seasons by the end of it. I mean, Cal... I did their state of the program piece last year. Like there was every reason to believe they were about to have a big breakthrough season with who they had coming back. They had their whole offense was coming back. And, and like you said, like when they finally played a game, it was with a defensive line that had been quarantined for two weeks and never practiced and, and ended up going one and three. Uh, and you could say that about a bunch, like Arizona state was very excited for Jaden Daniels at sophomore season. And they ended up playing four games and, um, but I will say this, I feel like, you know, he put it as like hurt their momentum. It seems to me with all the seniors that took the extra year that like, it's not quite that, it's not like, oh, they lost the momentum and it's never going to come back. It's like, they're getting a mulligan. Uh, Cal still has almost their entire offense coming back. Uh, Arizona State, if you look at Bill Connolly's returning production, like half the Pac-12 is in the top 10. So I think it's being viewed more as just kind of a blip. Cal actually had a great recruiting class this year. Now, the one I will always say, um, you'll never know how different it might have been if not for the pandemic is Penn State. Um, everybody was dealing with the same circumstances, so I'm not making an excuse. But they they played that Cotton Bowl the year before, and they ran for 396 yards. And at that point, we were under the impression that all four of those guys, Journey Brown, Noah Kane, Ricky Slade, and Devin Ford were all coming back. And one by one, they lost all of them except Ford, and they started 0-5, and it was a disaster. And they also lost the best player in the program. Micah Parsons opted out and came out to Los Angeles to basically train for the draft. So you're taking arguably the best defensive player in all of college football off before the season. So there's an opt-out. Um, the other one that had a ton of opt-outs was LSU. They came off a national championship season. You lose the best receiver in college football in Jamar Chase. You lose one of your best defensive backs um, in Kerry Vincent. They lost Tyler Shelvin. They lost a bunch of D linemen. Um, so I would I would add that in. I don't know how much. I don't think they were going to be eight and two given all the other guys they lost just to the draft anyway, but they had a ton of opt-outs. Um, but, yeah, I agree with you on Penn State. Just the, the 
the turns that happened in the running back room, in addition to Michael Parsons, was pretty One pretty more, Wisconsin comes out in their first game, and, it, you know, you're not—they've been in the Rose Bowl the year before. You expect Wisconsin to be good every year, but this was a little bit of new territory with Graham Mertz, and he just shreds Illinois in his first game. And you're like, wow, look at the new Wisconsin offense. And then he immediately gets shelved. The whole team has to shut down, I think, for two weeks or three weeks. And then when they come back, now their top two receivers are hurt, and they were just they end up having a really mediocre season. But again, I feel like, okay, that was a weird season. On to the next one, right? It doesn't feel like that was some sign that the Wisconsin program is is going to go, you know, crashing down. I just think it was a weird one. Um, by the way, you know, it was this week last year that, uh, speaking of things coming crashing down, that everything shut down. We, I was looking at our podcast from around that time. Our, we recorded the podcast this week last year on this very day, the Wednesday of conference tournament week, when it had just been announced that there was going to be no fans at the NCAA tournament. What an interesting time capsule. I'm going to have to go back and listen to that. Like, you get to hear us in real time trying to process, like, what is happening? You're telling me there's not going to be fans in the stands of a sporting event? This is crazy. Uh, count me as count me out as one of those people who's like I've I've heard somebody say when they write the book on 2020. Like, <laughs> I don't want to read that. No, book. I don't want to read the book. I don't want to listen to this episode. I don't want like just get me out of this. You know, like I I want to move. You know, I'd like to move on. I've lived this. You know, we've all kind of like lived this Groundhog's Day version. Well, you, of you and I are having this offline debate about March Madness, where I think after having not had it last year, people are going to be so excited to have it back that for the first you know we haven't had an NCAA tournament in two years and you're like you you believe like there's gonna be no interest in March Madness I don't think there's gonna be no interest I think it's gonna be not the same level of interest I mean look I am also the same person now who watches a lot more hockey than I ever have because I am like gobbling up whatever sports I can watch you know like like I watch more NHL network in the last like two months than I did in the last five years combined non-playoff version i watch a ton of nba i will watch march madness i just don't think you know full disclosure Stu, this debate happened about like or this discussion not debate happened because what we think people's reading appetites are going to be like that they're going to be so consumed with the ncaa tournament that they may not want to read about college football i don't think it's going to be the normal march madness we'll see the schedule's a little bit different and doesn't help that like Duke's probably not going to be in it and um, Kentucky's definitely not going to be in it and there's no Zion I don't watch college basketball that closely anymore I'm not going to lie uh, I do really enjoy watching Gonzaga somebody sent me a list of the all ACC first team which think about who would have been on an all ACC first team basketball most years right it's a bunch of lottery picks and NBA all I didn't recognize any of those dudes <laughs> like they had they had a rough year uh, in particular the Big Ten was very good uh, back to football. Um, all right, we'll go yeah. with this question from Sebastian. Bruce and Stu, long-time listener, first-time emailer. Thank you, Sebastian. I had a question regarding A&M and what you thought of their trajectory over the next couple of seasons. Yes, Kellen Mon has moved on, as has much of our offensive line, but I'm really excited for what, the ha- for what Haynes King has to offer, and with the success of our recruiting recently, do you honestly think A&M could make it to Atlanta by 2023? That's pretty far off. Uh, it is pretty far off. So, 
Jimbo has recruited very well. I like what they got, especially on the defensive line. Um, still in place with some some really good young players. They lose Bobby Brown, who was a who was a really good big big man. But I think at least on the D line, they have a chance to be pretty good. He's right because we've had Kellen Mond play so long there um, that again I don't know Zach Calzada. I saw uh, throw when he was at the Elite Eleven. He definitely has a strong arm. Haynes King is more of a is more of a dual threat guy who's from East Texas, and I know that there's some good buzz about him. Um, I don't know. I, I I mean they they have some good backs in there too. That's the thing is like. Whoever takes over as the quarterback is going to have, you know, they have they have two things that I think will will bode well. They're really going to be good on the D line, and I think they should be good in the secondary. So I think like Mike Elko, who's really does a good job as a defensive coordinator, there has pieces to work with. I just wonder, you know, you're breaking in a new quarterback. Jimbo has a good track record with quarterbacks, but. I don't know. It's still such a big climb, even without everybody. Alabama lo- loses. I mean, you still got to get by them. I just don't. May I, I remind you, though, that that's the... I, I'm you know, I'm May I remind you that, like, he put 2023, and I'm thinking, why can't they go in 2021? Like, they they only lost one game last year to Alabama, and not that Alabama ever falls far, right? But you, it is, you know, no Mac Jones, no Devontae Smith, no Jalen Waddell, uh, no Najee Harris. Like, the, there's some, some pretty notable losses there. Um, if... But it all depends on. I think it'll just depend on how quickly the new quarterback. You know, it's not like I mean, Kellen Mond has a very interesting. He's one of these guys who he started for four years, and I still don't know what to make of him. Like he had his, he was so all over the map. But he in his senior season, he led them to a top five ranking. It's hard to argue with that. So um, I'm not saying he'll be easy to replace by any means. But if the quarterback can be is really good, I think they got a chance to win the SEC West. I think Georgia would still be my SEC overall favorite all right as always send your questions to the audible pod at gmail.com and we will see you next time